Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We are here today with three people from Manners. They are from the Minorities in Agriculture, Natural Resources, and Related Sciences Organization. And we are all together at the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture meeting in Washington, D.C. So I'm here today with Christian Russell, who is the Region 3 Graduate Vice President, Raymond Thomas, who is the Graduate Vice President from Kansas State University Chapter, and David Riera from Region 2 Graduate Vice President. So welcome, all of you, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you very much. So, Christian, just to get started, would you tell us a little bit more about what Manners is? So Manners is a professional development organization that assists students in soft skills and the essential skills needed to go into the workforce. We have a little over 52 chapters around the nation that are represented at our land-grant institution, so 1862s, 1890s, and 1994s, which were, again, the land-grant institutions. Manners was founded at Michigan State and co-sponsored with Pennsylvania State, and today is actually our 35th anniversary. So today's February 25th. Yes. So just in case anybody <laughs> looks at the calendar. So tell me, is there a chapter at LSU? I, that's where I went, and it's a land-grant university. There is a chapter at L- LSU and Southern University in really? Louisiana. Okay. Yes. Okay, well, that's good to know. Our undergraduate uh, president actually sits at um, Southern University there in plant and soil sciences. Oh, wow. Yes. So they must be active. Then. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. Okay, so tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on, what your stories are, tell us your story, and then I'll go around and talk to everybody. So just give us your story, and then I'll let everybody else get a chance. Yeah, so I'm actually a non-traditional ag student. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, grew up in this urban area, didn't know really what agriculture was until I went to the University of Kentucky and majored in community and leadership development, which focuses on rural communities there in Kentucky. I knew I wanted to work in government, so I then went to go get my master's in public and administration from Auburn. And then I tell people that I got dragged to Mississippi State, uh, (laughs) heavily recruited to get my PhD in agriculture and extension education with the focus in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Wow, that's really exciting. Yes. And so are you actually working yet or are you still a student? So I'm actually a fellow with the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights at USDA here in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so what do you do in in that capacity? So I serve as special assistant to the Deputy Assistant Secretary. So any special projects that they want to work on, I assist them with in the planning and programming side. And so uh, one of the things we actually just got to do at the Ag Outlook Forum last week that was hosted by USDA. We hosted the first uh, workshop that highlighted minority and beginning new uh, ranchers and farmers. And so we talked about heirs property, which is a big issue in the minority community, as well as how people could get um, into the hemp industry. So we had Commissioner Corals there on our panel, and then also uh, new technologies within agriculture. So is this a one-year fellowship or multi-year? Um, I'm coming up on a year in my fellowship in June. And so. when they award the fellowship, is it 
it's really a year or is it well it's a it's a four-year appointment four years so they can extend you for four years but it's actually i'm not a a permanent employee with the usda it's an appointment under the office Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's exciting okay raymond tell tell us about you so um i grew up in houston texas that's where my family is from. That's where we settled down, and uh, got started in agriculture in undergrad, where I went to when I went to Prairie View A and M University to study agriculture with a conscious concentration in agribusiness. When I first got into it, I thought I wanted to be a vet, and I found out I didn't have a stomach for that. But I was still very much interested in the agricultural space. So, growing up, my father was a business consultant as well as teaching. So I always had an aptitude for the business and economics side of agriculture. So I decided to focus on that. Graduated from Prairie View. A&M University in 2018, after which I went on to Kansas State University, where I'm currently there now, um, finishing up my second year in my master's program focusing on agriculture economics, and I plan to start my PhD in the fall and hopefully finish strong and be ready to And you're going to stay at Kansas State? Yes, ma'am, I am. Okay. And so I've always had a natural aptitude and interest in agriculture. And I tell people all the time I wouldn't be here where I am without Manners. Manners is the organization that got me in the door locally and nationally. I've had a lot of opportunities to travel, meet very influential people in the agricultural space. And it's really helped me to expand my horizon and my understanding of the industry as a whole. Wow, that sounds very exciting. Okay, David, tell me about your story. And so my story, again, is non-traditional. Um, I did not go into college after high school. I went straight into the Marine Corps. I did a couple stints overseas. And then coming back, I decided to do exactly what my mom did, which was work three jobs. And I, was not, I did not go to college because I just didn't see myself there and I didn't see people that looked like me um, in that. I wanted to pursue, so I originally pursued law enforcement because that's what Marines typically do. Mm-hmm. And then, Magically, my, my applications got lost, and I was taking that as a sign from the universe, and I went to do pre-vet. And I was working about four years at a veterinary office locally to get my chops in as a veterinary technician, went, got my certification, and decided to keep going. Um, a new program had upsurge in my community college, which is biotech. Unfortunately, 2008, the biotech bubble kind of blew up in Florida because it went upside down with Wall Street. And so I earned, at Miami-Dade College, I earned an Associates of Arts specifically in microbiology and one in about, and an Associates of Science in advanced biotech. And I earned a couple of professional certifications like industrial engineering and um, good, good manufacturing uh, procedures and processes. After that, I decided to, how can I still pursue veterinary science and research? Because I was of the mindset that, you know, Practitioners were behind the time, and I wanted to be on the cutting edge of being able to produce methods, medicines, and whatnot. And then that kind of went downhill. I went straight into FIU, and I decided to hedge bet, and I ended up earning a Bachelor's of Science in Marine Biology with a specialization in wetland science and coastal marine policy. And at the same time, I was uh, earning a Bachelor's of Science in Environmental Studies with a concentration in Natural Resource Conservation and Agroecology. After that, fast forward, Master's of Science in Plant Biotechnology, where I was able to create a methodology um, that we're using now. All in Florida? All in Florida. Okay. Yeah, all in Florida. And around my master's time is when I was in a meeting with undergrads and the coordinator, who's a good friend of mine, said, so we have this organization named Manners who wants to be the president of it. 
I'm in the office because it's my office. And I'm like waiting for the undergrads to pop up and nobody popped up. And I asked, asked the agroecology coordinator at that time, I was like, uh, can a graduate student be the president? And he's like, sure. And so at that point, manor, our manners chapter was kind of quiet for like the last two years that I was an undergrad. And then I emerged. You know, when I when I became the president, um, I hold, I held down that position for about uh, two years until I became a national officer with with Manners, and now I've, I'm actually their acting graduate advisor. So Manners has had a huge impact, um, as I I feel like I've had a huge impact in, in Manners being the first military vet to hold national office, um, and being able to get a lot of the things rolling that are really impactful at the chapter level. Like Christian had mentioned, you know, we're, we're a volunteer organization and we look at the grassroots being our members and those members are heavily, are heavily students. Um, so being able to diversify, diversify and really, you know, commit to a, a culture of inclusion, equity and diversity is huge. It's huge. And it seems from what everyone is telling me, that it's the kind of organization that you remain part of even after you graduate. This isn't something that's only for students, right? Absolutely, absolutely. just just during this meeting, uh, you know, we've had the fortune to connect with with previous alumni who don't even know that their companies are actual sponsors. And so being able to connect, you know, talking to Raymond today, being able to connect those back to us, mm -hmm. it just, you see the expressions on their faces and they're like, really, this is all still interconnected and now I'm back on board? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling. And we have undergraduate, we have high school students, undergraduate students, graduate students, and professional members who make up our society in total. So it really does create a networking opportunity where you can go to somebody else who's a Manners member, the way people go to an alumni association and, and look for alums and things like that. That's wonderful. That's really good. So what kinds of things do you think that the organization should be doing in the future to encourage um, people to, first of all, know about it, but also um, what you could be doing to change the face of agriculture. Uh, I'll start there. Okay. I think one thing that we need to be doing and have currently been doing since I've been a part of Manners is uh, expanding our horizons. Um, one thing that we always tend to hear whenever we go representate or, you know, go as representation at different events or, or on recruiting trips is we hear, okay, from students, for example, I'm not in agriculture, where's the place for me? And uh, you, you realize that there is, there is this misconception that if you're not in an agriculture-specific field, there's no place for you in the organization. And that's just not true. I, for one, come from a, you know, a non-ag background, but my, both my family are from major metropolitan cities, my mom and my dad, and got my interest in agriculture through my experience in scouting and conservation projects, and that's then what took me, you know, to, per, to pursue that in my graduate and undergraduate degrees. And I think we've done a good job of continuing to expand that horizon. I know, uh, especially on the, the um, junior manners chapter, the junior manners level, where we're looking at high school students, they've done a lot with connecting with 4-H as far as um, engineering programs and robotics programs, competitions that let students who are interested in computer science or engineering find their place in agriculture and funnel into the industry from that avenue. Mm -hmm. 
So robotics in agriculture is like um, things for harvesting as well as packaging exactly. and exactly. all of that kind of thing. Okay. Especially as you, you look on the software side of that when dealing with AI, AI technology as mm -hmm. software has begun to expand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that because one of the TRIO, which are federally funded education programs that I worked as a informal science teacher, uh, we had a, a project robotics where a, a group of the students there were creating an AI version of a live greenhouse that would respond not just like a typical air conditioning which is hey it's too hot open up it would actually respond to precision agriculture so you know the actual entire greenhouse from a nursery production standpoint was automated and they created all this with Legos with Lego Mindstorm. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. so that the code you know they, they brought up the code and it was, you know, it was innovation. It was innovation and, you know, I was always there to sit there and say, but this is how it applies in real life. Right. Because, you know, from a, from a high school to college, there's still disconnect. Right. So Especially to... if you're not from a farm family or exactly. something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. South Florida does that. You know, the, the big farm families are because we're, 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 all, we're all sons and daughters of immigrants. And in our countries, you know, agriculture is a lifestyle. You know, my parents and, and I was fortunate my dad grew up on a ranch in Spain. You know, but when my dad came over here, he was a pilot. You know, he was, he was you know, a pilot in the, in the army in um, Spain. But, you know, we don't have, we didn't have farm, we didn't have access to farmland here. You know, I like, just like you, I was really more about natural conservation. And, you know, that's being a big, in a big ag-driven organization like ours, I'm happy that, you know, I have my ag chops, mm -hmm. but that bringing that natural conservation, that natural resource conservation to light, I'm really proud about that right now. Well, and I think that the when you look at the food chain writ large, you really can't separate what's traditional ag, like raising chickens or uh, cows or pigs or whatever, from things like fishing and yeah, things like that. Connected. I mean, it's, it's all connected. connected. So I, I think that just drawing this line and saying, oh, that's not ag, but this is, is kind of really uh, artificial. And it's counterproductive. Exactly, yes, because you're just denying reality. But also, it makes me think about what we do in Louisiana with our crawfish farms, because we grow the rice in patties, and then after the rice is harvested, the patty is seeded with crawfish, and then the crawfish eat all of the detritus and everything that's left in, in and then of course they fertilize it, and then you come along with the next season and, and grow your rice again. And that's a real connection between two things that would not normally, I mean, the rice is traditional ag, but crawfish is not <laughs> yeah so a sense of regenerative agriculture mm -hmm. you know and that's mm -hmm. why that's why I'm, I'm also you know I'm appreciative of because FIU is an urban is an urban center you know mm -hmm. um, so being able to be a part of a program that's agroecology where I looked at permaculture where I looked at regenerative ag I mean it hits me in, in every direction I'm glad that I'm able to amplify that and so what do you feel Christian that you're doing now that you're not in school anymore uh, <laughs> that is encouraging the people who are still in school i think going back and opening doors for people and making sure that i'm sharing my story 
one thing that I do for the high school that I, I have back home, they, it's a magnet career academy and it's a long government magnet. So every time I come back, my teacher's like, how did you get into agriculture again? And I'm like, there has to be these policies that have to be made and you're teaching your students about law and you also need to t teach them about the environments they're in because I, growing up, I didn't know what agriculture was. I go back home now and I see agriculture everywhere. So I think um, just making sure that students know that agriculture is a part of them even if they don't think think that it is, and then also reaching back to make sure that you're giving opportunities to the next group of people. And to credit Russell, who is you know, just recently, you know, a doctor. Congratulations on <laughs> that, you. by the way. Uh, and I don't even know if she realizes how big of an impact she had on me, you know, because I was an undergrad when she became a national officer. And so seeing these, you know, people who look like me, people who represented my demographic in agriculture, not only making a difference and an impact, but also being successful, you know, successfully completing their education programs. It's what helps students like me to feel like, okay, once I'm done with my master's, I can get the PhD too. I've seen other people who are, who look like me, who come from my background do it, I can do it too. And I'm sure, you know, David is also setting that example on the veteran side as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been, thank you for that. I mean, it's been very troubles and tribulations on yourselves, it, um, you know, because I, I look at myself and I still see myself there, but there's a huge age gap people don't realize. And, you know, the veteran community, one of their fears is, you know, we need to still provide for our family. But how do we elevate our ability to do that, you know? Um, just like in the movie, you know? That idea, that, that concept that farmers are having to leave their land and provide for their families in, in another way, that's something really in the back of the head of veterans, you know? And the fact that we have programs now through the USDA that, you know, increase um, access for veterans is, real, is really big, you know? And so I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of that. So, but... Just let me ask you, this is just a technical manners question. Is being a veteran considered one of the minorities? Is, yes. It is? Uh, it, it, it is, is. right? So, uh -huh. being, okay. so being, being an Afro-Latino uh -huh. that happens to, to serve eight years in the Marine Corps, uh -huh. I, am a, I am a minority among minorities. Okay, okay. He's a double minority. Yeah. All right. And I think that... Um, People can get uh, kind of deteriorated from the title minorities and not seeing how they're a minority in other scopes. So uh, uh -huh. women in agriculture are, are minorities regardless of what nationality, ethnicity, or race that you represent. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes men are minorities within their spaces, but we also really value diversity of thought mm -hmm. to make sure that we're all coming together to, uh, to serve the better good and to, to bring more students into agriculture. It's really actually very exciting to hear all this. <laughs> so what is it that you have as individual goals that like what would you let's start with you, David. What would you like to to be doing ultimately? So within the society, um, one of the things that I'm I'm going or I have been doing is piloting this idea of interest sections. And I believe that having interest sections, while we have um, our collegiate chapters, mm -hmm. I believe that the next step in our organization is having interest sections. And these interest sections are something that big corporations already have in order to deal with veteran communities within their organizations, to deal with the LGBTQ. Um, as we see at this, at, at this, at this conference, policy. 
right? Both foreign and domestic. So, you know, having those strong sections, I believe that Manners as an organization will be there beyond the 22nd century. Um, and really not just, you know, having the doors opening, but consistently building the, uh, the pipelines that will guide legislation and producers, you know, to really meet the goals and exceed the goals of what it means to feed, you know, to feed America, to feed the world. Mm -hmm. And Raymond? I think from a professional standpoint, what one thing that I, I've always focused on uh, that's always been enjoyable to me as far as learning and research and everything of that nature um, is international trade and uh, understanding that we're not in this alone. It's on all of us, you know, the nations across the world to figure out how to come together and solve this problem of feeding the population. Um, and that, that creates an intersection of business and that creates an inter intersection of policy and government and corporations. And I think and culture. that- And culture, exactly. Because we're coming from all different walks of life, you know, and, and I think, understanding and being an advocate for that cooperation is important. And yes, it can get tenuous at times, it can get you know, controversial at times, but I think the more we push through that, the stronger foothold we'll have and the more better we're able to stand together as people. Because yes, you're from the US, you're from France, you're from Africa, you're, but at the end of the day, we're all people and I think it's our responsibility to help each other. Right, and when we were listening today about the locusts in Kenya, I mean, that could be anywhere. Exactly. It just happens to be in Kenya right now, but it could be anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And Christian, what about you? What do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know exactly what that looks like for me because I feel like my path is forever changing in the opportunities and the people that I get introduced to. But I know for a fact I want to be a change agent in diversity and inclusion and making sure that policies are equitable. Um, for minorities and underserved uh, populations. So I don't know what that looks like, but I know that's what I want to do for somebody. <laughs> and luckily with my fellowship with USDA, I've been able to create programming around minority farmers. So I think that that's between that and manners, I'm doing that. I just want it to be on a more impactful level. So do you all think that you all are going to work on a national level? Do you think you're going to work in different states? Or, you know, you're going to all move to Washington kind of thing? Or what, what do you think? My plan, my hope, and what I think <laughs> uh -huh. is to work on an international level. Okay. Um, so you're moving to Paris? I'm moving London. everywhere. Yeah. I believe it was uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, his favorite quote of mine is, I am a citizen of the world, mm -hmm. and I do my best to try to live that out in everything that I do. Mm -hmm. Because whether or not you recognize it, you know, everything that happens on the planet will find its way back to you in one, one mm -hmm. form or another. True. We're true. seeing that now with, with the locusts in Kenya. We're seeing that with the coronavirus. We've seen that happen with, you know, trade organizations and trade agreements across the country, across the nation um, and so hopefully my goal is either on the corporate you know or government god forbid but possibly political level uh, to <laughs> to expand that horizon and continue to be an advocate for international cooperation and you you think you're going to be local or so i guess dr king said it best you know evil wins when when bad people give up or they leave. I, I holistically push my students um, out of Florida, you know, so that they can build the kind of chops 
that they need and make a make a informed decision uh, to come back and continue to help or build. While I love working on a regional and national, and I believe that, you know, from, you know, I bleed Florida, you know, <laughs> state of Florida is, is me, I am that. So being able to be that person that looks like me, has my story, is entrenched, like deeply rooted in Florida, it needs to happen. And so that is a sacrifice and a, and a, and a privilege that I'm going to do for the rest of my life in Florida because I believe that the conversation for agriculture, the conversation for natural resource conservation, the conservation for ag education, it needs to be, you know, even if Florida goes underwater, those beliefs and ideas and those paradigms need to need to figure out how to float. And I'm gonna figure out how to do that. But I, I love being able to come at the regional, at the national, to DC. You know, I fought on, on different fronts, you know, in the Marine Corps and I continue to serve the community and fight on different fronts, both locally and domestically, just to make sure that our paradigms, our ideas continue to live. Well, I would like to say that if there's any way that you can think of that either the Southern Food and Beverage Museum can help you even if it's just to get messages out, because we are an educational organization, and one of the things we try to do is to educate people about what is going on in the food and drink world, and this certainly seems to be part of it. So please get in touch with me and let me know. But um, also, our parent organization is the National Food and Beverage Foundation. And right now we have a large library, it's in multiple languages, and we're always growing the library and getting papers of various people who are donating their, you know, their cookbook author or their chef or their somebody who's been in business and, and gives us their papers and things. So we have those which give a growing place to do research. And we also have another project which is called the National Culinary Heritage Register. And what we do is have a, basically a database of places that are in the food and drink business from farmers, from uh, fishermen, all the way to the other end. So it could be, you know, this company has been doing composting, commercial composting for 50 years or whatever. And uh, we recognize them and we put them on the register so that we're having this database so that you can research it in multiple ways, by state, by industry, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, if, if there's anything, I'm just making this as an offer now because I'm so excited about what you're doing. <laughs> just please let us know because uh, maybe there are ways that we can forge something together that would allow us to at least if nothing else, get the word out about you. Absolutely. So I would be very pleased if, if we could do that. We're always looking for speakers, <laughs> especially to come talk to our chapters. Well, so. that would be an easy thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, already, I'm already thinking region two cluster. There you go. Region two and three, David. We do this together. Yeah, that's pretty selfish, ain't it? <laughs> I mentally said three. Uh-huh. <laughs> two came out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks <all> Okay. Day. <laughs> Okay, I want to thank all of you for taking the time away from the conference to to chat with me today. 
You have been listening to Tip of the Tongue on the Nitty Grits Network of the National Food and Beverage Foundation. Visit us at our studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. You can find us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.